You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We were trying to figure out what the Big Ten would decide. We now know that they're going to let Ohio State play in the Big Ten championship game. What's it mean for everybody involved in the conference and college football overall? We'll figure it out. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the show, Penzo Performance Line. And you guys can hang out with us, be part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, ESPN Nation, presented by Dr. Pepper. The college football season's heating up, so is your favorite Dr. Pepper-loving college football town. Fansville, head to a store near you to treat your inner college football fan to an ice-cold 20-ounce Dr. Pepper today. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Sarah, uh, I think we all expected that this would happen, Mm -hmm. you know, we weren't sure what they would do, but now the Big Ten has talked to everybody, they've taken votes, and they've said, hey, we're not doing this just based on anything. We've looked around and we think that the best thing to do is to let Ohio State play in the Big Ten championship game, meaning Indiana's regular season has now come to an end. They will not get that opportunity, but Ohio State will get the opportunity to get another game in and try and help their cause for the college football playoff. Well, I'm not sure what the bowl season, if there is a bowl season, is going to look like. So maybe we'll get to see Indiana again. But for all uh, intents and purposes right now, they might be done with that Purdue game being canceled. And, man, Fitz, you know me. I am such a stickler for rules. But rules are designed to keep things fair, in my opinion, for the most part. The intention of making rules is to provide set guardrails and and preventions from – things being unfair. And this season overall has been deeply unfair to everyone involved. Just playing it all is unfair to some nurses and doctors who are seeing spreads that might result from something that happens in sports or, you know, money from the government that could have gone somewhere else or PPP, whatever it is, right? The whole thing's unfair. But trying to figure out whether Ohio State got more boned by the games that they missed or Indiana because they would have been in that game or or any other team who might have had an opportunity, then you're just sort of, I think, uh, arbitrarily deciding, most likely based on some sort of bias that you have. I saw a story someone wrote, and she started it with, you know, I went to Indiana, but I want to let you know that this has nothing to do with that. I'm like, oh, it does, right? Like, it's always going to. (laughs) And so as someone who has no dog in this race, and, and yes, I did adopt Michigan as my football team, but they are trash. So trust me, I have not watched a single game this year. I have not been invested in that team. Um, I just think this is the most fair because there is no one that will argue with you that Ohio State is the best team. And if the goal of this season and the only reason we're playing through all of this is money, if you ask everyone honestly, that's what they're playing for. And you know that those other Big Ten teams get a cut of it when Ohio State makes the playoff then they want to give them the best possible opportunity to make the playoff because they are the only team in the conference that has a shot at that. And yeah, they could have been selected even if they didn't play in this game. We've seen that before. It's the same situation Notre Dame's always in when they're an independent. But why not if you know they're the best and they're not in it because of a rule that you made a couple months ago when you had no idea just how absurd this season would be, you can just as arbitrarily get rid of that rule months later as you made it months ago. Well, and, you know, I yes, I wish that they had made this decision weeks ago to prepare themselves for this situation. I, I, I think it would have been great. I wish that they could have found a way to let Ohio State play anybody in any conference to get that uh, game so that we oh, could great. all get Ohio State, Texas A&M, and then Indiana could still have a shot at the Big, 12, uh, Big Ten Championship game. And I hate that it means that Northwestern, who has a game this weekend, 
is not going to get a bye week to prepare for Ohio State, who's going to get that luxury for them. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are all things that stink. But ultimately, if the goal of the college football playoff committee is to get the four best teams in, I also believe that Ohio State is one of the four best teams in the country. So anything that helps make that happen actually is great for the games we're going to get in the college football playoffs. So in that sense, as much as I hate it for Indiana, who's having a really special season, I I mean, last night when I was trying to challenge Michael Luke Jr.'s mindset on this a little bit with rankings reaction, he pointed out, like, nothing takes anything away from the fact that Ohio State beat Indiana. That's the reason we're here. So Indiana had the chance to get into this game by earning it on the field, let's say it that way. And they didn't. So this that's part of the reason we're in this situation. So mm-hmm. all in all, but it's also, the best, I think, of a bad situation. I mean, if we're going to talk about just dumb dumb things that were invented for no reason, why are there divisions in the Big Ten? <laughs> right? Like, well, you need divisions in your own conference. If you wanted like, to make it so that Indiana could earn their way in, they're in the same division as Ohio State. Why do you have divisions in a conference with what is it, fourteen teams? That's called the Big Ten. I mean, I know. I was just wondering. Does you know that make any me, sense to you? It'd be a lot fairer if you didn't have divisions in your own conference, and anybody who qualified could make that game. It's a equally as confusing as you know. Years ago, when I had a friend that was like, she was like, "Yeah, I'm in a, a sorority in the music school at Vandy," and I'm like, what, "What? What do you mean? Like, you're already in a subset of a school? Like, you need a subset within a subset? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. that makes no yeah. sense to me. We need to know where uh, to put I, you. I, and apparently, <laughs> I'm just glad they got rid of the like legends and leaders or whatever it was called before. I mean, that was really dumb. But again, like you said, there were opportunities for Indiana to earn their way in and. If they were a better team and a more talented team, then we wouldn't be moving mountains to make sure that Ohio State was in. And I fully get that people are going to be frustrated because it feels like Ohio State is the you know the favored son. But it's for a reason. They're the only ones that can compete nationally with the very best teams in the country. Now, uh, earlier today on ESPN Radio on Chenay and Golick Jr., Jr., Peter Burns was uh, on with them, and he's SEC Network and, uh, analyst and best week ever host on ESPN Radio. Uh, he gave the Big Ten uh, a little bit of grief in a positive way, saying they're getting more for doing less when he said this. The Big Ten pinned themselves into bad decision upon bad decision upon bad optics. And again, I think where it doesn't sit right with so many people is the fact of fans outside of the Big Ten go, well, wasn't this the conference that tried to shut down all of college football? I mean, th- wasn't this the conference that was on the phone and talking to the ACC and SEC and Big 12 going, hey, listen, we're shutting this thing down. We know the Pac-12 is going to follow us, but hey, we're going to do this. We expect you all to do the same thing. And the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12 said, no, we feel comfortable that we can play a season. And now, all of a sudden, in a weird way, the Big 10 not only kind of mitigated their their risk of as far as playing a full schedule and, and having one of their teams be upset, but now they're going to be possibly rewarded by it by a late change in the, in the season. Now, I can see some of that, Sarah, but it depends on, on what you thought coming into it. Because one thing that Peter's alluding to, to there is the, the theory that he has that when the Big Ten canceled uh, football initially, their thought was that they were going to be the leaders in this conversation. Everybody would follow suit. When that didn't happen, put them behind the eight ball. There are many people that have that, that theory. I don't know that we have enough yet to to be able to say that without doubt, though. Like, I mean, there is portion of this, like, isn't it possible that the Big Ten just looked around and said, guys, this isn't safe, we're not going to play. And then when yeah, everybody I mean, I else started playing, it was pressure. Flawed. 
Yeah, I think it's right. I think it's based on a flawed premise. You can be mad about this decision, but I don't think you tack it onto some sort of situation in which you really believe we would have heard reported and sourced that the Big Ten reached out to everyone and told them, yeah, we're going to do this. You have to follow us. I don't think that's the case at all. I think the people in charge there made that decision, maybe believing that other decision makers would feel the same way, and then essentially pressured into, oh, you're all going to play? Well, now we're getting a beat down, not just from the people in our orbit, but the president of the United States, so we're going to play. I mean, that just feels to me like a flawed premise. Uh, You don't need to tack that on to be angry about this. It feels a little disingenuous to do so. Well, and and all of this is part of what happens. I mean, this is what makes the college football world spin, right? Everybody's got a theory on everything. Realistically, the most important thing for the Big Ten is that they are at least giving their teams and their their best team a shot at the college football playoff, which I think you smartly pointed out earlier is a benefit to everybody financially also. We have to remember that it's not just about Ohio State. Every single I mean, Northwestern wins a Big Ten championship game. We'll all laugh about it, but the Big Ten won't laugh about it because Northwestern's not making the college football playoffs. So every school wants the share of their cash that comes with winning that. So uh, obviously we've got more college football news we'll get into over the course of the next couple of hours, but... Last night, there was a big football game that also had some controversy around COVID-19. What's that mean? And what do we make of the Ravens playoff situation now? We'll answer it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and Sirius XM Channel 80. (laughs) You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the show. Penzo Performance Line. Speaking of progressive insurance, quoting home insurance just got easier with Progressive's Home Quote Explorer. Explorer, quote and buy all online at progressive.com. So there was a little bit of controversy. We'll get back to college football in about 15 minutes. But uh, before we do that, Sarah, last night as the Ravens were getting ready to play the Cowboys, you know, I was sitting there getting ready for rankings reaction, and everybody saw Dez tweet, and he tweeted out his frustration that he was taken off the sidelines, tested again for COVID-19. He came up positive on that test, and as a result, wasn't allowed to play in last night's game. Now, it, it raises a sort of an eyebrow, and I think a lot of conspiracy theorists want to come out and make it bigger than it is. You've smartly pointed out it isn't bigger than it is, but it is at least a moment there where I look at it and say, man, could the NFL have done anything to help the Ravens as far as letting them activate another play or something? They didn't end up needing him in the game, but these are opportunities, I think, for the league to step back and say, okay, what did we learn from the way all of this went down, and how should we handle it in the future to make sure that we're putting everybody in the best situation possible going into actual kickoff not just game day yeah and it wasn't it wasn't that it wasn't bigger there's certainly a discussion to be had I just don't think they set any precedent mainly because they went through the exact same protocols and and checklist as they would any other time we just sort of witnessed it and heard about it in the moment because of the timing of those inconclusive tests first arriving they get those inconclusives they pull them off the field um and then they administer the 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 immediate test that let them know that he wasn't able to participate they went through all the contact tracing and listen you're always going to be able to make an argument that he could have given it to any one of those people that he exchanged a quick hug or hello with but the way the nfl and many places espn included does their contact tracing is based on that 15 minutes of close proximity so no one was considered high risk they didn't go on with the game ignoring what they would usually do which i think we all thought initially are they just going against the ways that they've processed every other case in the past and the answer is no according to every every reported and every source they followed through with the exact same things they always do we just heard about it in the moment because of that um 
And then it, it left us with a game that, uh, you know, was sad that Des wasn't there. He waited essentially three years for this game. This meant a lot to him to be able to play against his old team. And that's just a bummer. The timing is terrible. I'm glad he did come to his senses after some wine and say, all right, I'm not I'm not taking the season off. I'm going to come back when I'm when I'm healed and and uh, no longer uh, a positive. Um, and it and it ended up being a game that thankfully, like you said, they didn't need him for. But I do think it's worth addressing if the timing is such like this again, which would be crazy. Another exact circumstance like this that they would allow them to call someone up to take his spot. Yeah, well, and and let's be real too. Like to the point of Des, if this was a practice squad receiver or somebody none of us had ever really heard of, there wouldn't be some great controversy or mm-hmm. great conversation around it. This is what happens when stars are involved. Now, uh, the other side of it is they went out, and the Ravens are a team that a lot of us have left for dead. And you know, there's a spot where the conversation about the playoffs doesn't hasn't included a lot of Baltimore. And Baltimore just went in, and they whooped up. And I know they whooped up on a Cowboys team that's bad. But still, when you see them play the way they played, does it change anything that you thought about the team going in? I think Mina Kimes summed this up really well on, on uh, KJ and Z. This is what I was thinking. This it's- Ravens team, sorry, not quite yet, Mina. This Ravens team, uh, to me, I had already made my decisions. I didn't, and there is potential for them to reassert themselves. But I, I consider this a year where Lamar got a little bit figured out. The team just isn't as strong. And the teams around them improved. And so I still consider them third place behind the Browns and Steelers. And this didn't do much because of who they played. Take it away, Mina. Illness hits everyone differently. We've seen guys struggle in different ways coming back. So I'm going to pause before I assess him. I'd also say you really shouldn't assess anyone against that Dallas defense because holy <laughs> smokes. Like, I, I, I mean, the busted coverage, the lack of run fits, it, it is remarkable how undisciplined and bad they looked. And that, if anything, is probably more my takeaway than anything about the Ravens. She's not wrong, right? Like, I mean, everything she's saying about uh, Dallas's defense, like, they're an abomination. It's just awful to watch them play. Worst rush defense in the league. The absolute worst. The Ravens averaged almost eight yards per carry, and Lamar Jackson only had 107 yards passing, and they still got the win. Which is, uh, by the way, why, uh, you know, I'm not saying, like, our fantasy football league is is trying to, to doom me, but I was lucky enough to make the playoffs, right, in the fantasy football league. I'd like to get a better defense. So I went into the app, and I was like, I need a better defense. It's going to help me get more points. The top defense it says available is is Dallas. And what? I'm like, what, what? yeah, it's telling me that the top defense available is Dallas. And I'm like, what By are the way, you I'm looking really at? I'm insulted that you brought up fantasy knowing full well that our listener, angry Bears dad fan man, came back from down like 45 points. And on the back of one Beasley, came back to defeat me last night. I'm, I'm yeah, you, honestly angry that you brought it up and rubbed some salt in my wound. But wait, you still made the playoffs. Like, we both I mean, made I did. the playoffs I still, in our own I, I'm still... Okay, that's also up for debate. Because inexplicably, when I go to my playoff schedule, what I see is Jordan Cornette and Shea Pepler in the final spot. And what you and Stash see is you in that spot. I'm very confused. Are you sure you're looking at the right league? Because I'm eight and five, and the Cornets are seven and six. I mean, this is I am one hundred percent on my app. Okay, so now it's changed. So now it's oh. updated. I, I sent I sent a screen grab via email. Thanks for checking your email, and it showed it showed Cornets taking on Passons Punk Kid, and me taking on Stosh. And now you're in that spot. So I, I don't know what's happening. 
Even I the league, say, even the league is confused. COVID hit our you fantasy. and I and Stash, our producer extraordinaire, all made the playoffs yeah. in our own league. So I feel yeah, like well, Spain the checks in the mail. Dominance. <laughs> so now that we've talked about our fantasy football dominance, <laughs> uh, when you when you look at dominance and specifically with within the the division, I mean, like I said, we sort of written the 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 Ravens off. Well, at this point, you know, I, I said last week I didn't think the Browns were going to make the playoffs. Now, all of a sudden, the Browns and Ravens, they've got a game against each other left. They both have the Giants who look like they're going to be a tougher team. Uh, the, the Browns still have, uh, at this point, they have the, St- the the Steelers still left on the schedule. Like, there's there's some wiggle room here where I'm looking at it saying, man, I'm not sure how we should be assessing those two teams specifically when we look at the playoffs. Yeah, I think to me... And not because of the record, but because of the team. I still think the Steelers are the best team in that division. They have their flaws, and they can be beaten. But in that division, I'm still putting them at, at the top. Then I think the Browns are a better team than the Ravens. But to your point, 9-3 and three and 7-5, and five, there is absolutely a little bit of time for the Browns to collapse and for the Ravens to follow through with what we saw this week, even though it was against a bad Cowboys team. I, 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 I My money is on the, Cow, on the Browns. Uh, not performing as well as they did against the Titans. I think Bill Barnwell, I keep bringing this up on Monday, summed it up. They, they lost by a combined 72 points to the three teams with winning records they've played that have almost a 70% win percentage. The seven teams, this is before the Titans game, the seven teams they beat had a combined 190 win percentage. Okay, So we have Ooh. not seen the Browns be great other than that Titans game. And that was a really good matchup for them because the Titans defense is so bad against play action. They ran play action down their throats with Baker. I want to see them do that against another good team. They're going to have a shot against the Ravens who are up and coming after this week's win. Um, but yeah, I, I, I still think the Browns come out on top of the Ravens. But like you pointed out, they've got a tougher road to face ahead of them. Well, and then the last of the tough roads, the Steelers have to play the Bills. They have to play the Colts. Mm. They have to play the Browns. If I'm the Browns, I'm looking around saying, "Why not us? Like they got they they've got an easier schedule ahead of them than the Steelers do." So and you know, Steelers, never you never know. We could get some drama out of this division. The Steelers haven't looked great. Uh, here's what Mike Tomlin said after that loss to the WTFs: They can catch the ball, or they can get replaced by those that will catch it. So perfectly said. Only he can say it that well. Coming up, we'll get back to the college football action with Nicole Arbuck from the Athletic. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Welcome back to Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Or yesterday, Poocast. Pa- it, uh, it was a wild, a wild <laughs> 20 minutes talking about Fitz's house full of poop. And if you missed it, you can still go listen. Just subscribe to the Spain and Fitz pod. Uh, it's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Joining us now, the athletic senior college football writer who has crushed it all season long, Nicole Auerbach. Nicole, thanks for the time. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Let's start with uh, this decision that the Big Ten made today about waiving the sort of arbitrary rule that they made months ago in advance of the season. Um, let's play devil's advocate here. What is the most compelling argument someone would have against allowing Ohio State into the title game? Um, it would be that it would appear to be favoritism for Ohio State um, and that this wasn't a thing that the Big Ten was willing to adjust earlier in the season when Wisconsin was under the threshold um, and still eligible to win the West and that Indiana should 
benefit from the fact that the rule was made and that they followed the rule. Do you believe any of those? I mean, I think the, the only one that's valid to me is that they could have revisited this earlier in the season. Um, they could have revisited this when Wisconsin was dealing with its outbreak. And that was really the first time that the Big Ten realized that an outbreak in any of its programs basically wiped out two games, two weeks. Because, you know, if you think about um, college football at large, it's basically been about two games for, for most programs that have had to pause and shut down just because of, you know, the isolation periods, the quarantine periods. And in the Big Ten, it's a 21-day shutdown for players because there's a reacclimatization period. I can't say that word. I've been trying to say it all, all, <laughs> all year. I can't say that word. Um, and a transition period back to, you know, return to play and stuff. So I think at that point you could have realized, again, you're, you're hoping that you're going to have less outbreaks than you did. But at that point you could have said, okay, like, this threshold is actually pretty strict. I, I don't think we need it. And none of the other leagues set minimums. The college football playoff didn't set a minimum, but they thought about it um, throughout the summer and into the fall. If they wanted to say, oh, you've got to play six games or whatever the number would be for them. So nobody else did that. And, and so I think, you know, ultimately the right decision was made to put your best team in the championship game. But it didn't need to have that rule in the first place, or it could have been revisited like two weeks into the Big Ten season when you realized that you had Wisconsin losing multiple games. Nicole, you mentioned that the college football playoff committee doesn't have a minimum number of games. And while they've made it a part of the conversation, they still have Ohio State at number four. So how necessary was this change to even be made? Well, this, that's an interesting question because that was kind of my point all along is the committee already thinks this Ohio State team is one of the four best teams in the country. They thought that when they only played four games and they were 4-0. They thought it again when they were 4-0. They thought it now they're 5-0. Like, it doesn't appear to be that stressful, right? Like, the signal that the college football playoff committee is giving them is, hey, we think you're one of the four best teams in the country, and basically we were waiting for you to start your season. And so I, I think that um, this is about trying to put your team, which, you know, is, is hanging on to a four spot in the best-case scenario moving forward because we have seen – um, you know, especially that first year of the playoff at the TCU-Baylor situation, we have seen teams that felt pretty good heading into the final set of rankings get jumped. And so I think, you know, the concern is, okay, conference championships are supposed to matter. They're listed as part of the criteria. So this is a way to get our team that, you know, is still not going to play as many games as everybody else, but a chance to win a conference championship. And then I think if you want to say that a Big Ten title matters, if you want to say, and this is something in that league, that's um, in every league, but especially the rich traditions of, of Big Ten championships. And, you know, you, you need to have that game matter and you need to have it so that the two teams playing in it are your best teams um, or at least teams that qualified or whatever qualifier you want to put around it. But, but you can't have like a team that's not even playing in that be your best playoff chance and then say that the Big Ten championship like and the race to the championship matters in the same way that you want it to. And so I think that like, that's really where this came down to because a, um, I still think the best case scenario would have been to find Ohio state an opponent this week so that they mm. could ultimately get up to seven games. But at this point they would be six plus the conference championship boost, whatever that means to the resume. So it's all about securing that fourth spot and not leaving anything up to chance and, and that somebody could jump you. Nicole Auerbach of The Athletic, college football writer there, joins us here on Spain and Fitz. 
I reached out to our sports uh, stats and information group to just kind of figure out how often it is that a team is considered one of the best in the preseason or with expectations coming into the year of being a real contender and, and fails miserably. It hasn't happened often. No team has finished under 500 after they started the season in the top seven of the preseason poll. Um, and and uh, FSU in 2017, Auburn in 2015 had the worst records. They were both seven and six after starting in the top seven. So it feels like normally heading into the season, there's a pretty good idea of which teams are going to be among the best. So it's not like they're taking a team that surprised everyone with an undefeated mm-hmm. but incomplete record. And I think that matters a lot, too. As unfair as some might think that to be in a season like this, when you have so few criteria to go off of, the reputation and expectation based on the players coming back and everything else had to be a part of this. Yeah, and I think I think it absolutely was. Um, I mean, the, the example I keep pointing to is look at the way USC has been treated by the committee and look at the way Ohio State has. And it has everything to do with what we expected to see out of that team and what they had coming back, coming off of last year. All of these things were factors because it basically, you're starting at different points when you, when you talk about a preseason poll and expectations. And even though the college football playoffs waits until you know, the midseason point because they don't want you know, those preseason expectations, I mean, there's a reason that Ohio State, you know, starts at a certain point and, and USC starts at a different point, even though their, their total amount of games are not that different. One team is getting dinged for, you know, the, the lack of data points and, you know, they're, they're not passing the eye test in a couple of games, whereas Ohio State struggles. They struggled against Indiana. Um, and, and that was Justin Fields' worst performance that we've seen him. But they, the committee likes Ohio State. They, they see that team and they see one of the four best teams in the country. So throughout the process, they've gotten the benefit of the doubt because, and, and all you need to know to, to know that that's true is that they were in the four spot with four games on the resume um, because they've kind of been in this position where they basically played about half as many games as some of the teams are being compared to since the first rankings and the committee still had them in that fourth spot. So they just like them and they talk a lot about, you know, Justin Fields and Chris Olave and this offense and all these different things. They gave Justin Fields, Rightfully so, a lot of credit for how he played without three starting offensive linemen this past week. But they're basically saying, like, we just like these teams, and then they're figuring out the criteria they're going to use to justify it later, which is something that happens every single year. But it's really, like, laid bare this year that they're just kind of picking the teams that they like. They, they don't have that many data points. Um, the amount of games played should probably have carried more weight. They probably shouldn't have had Ohio State in there in the first rankings. They could have put them at, like, number six and said – we really like this team. We just want to see them play a couple more games. But they didn't do that. So they just they, – they already like this team we know, which is why I think, you know, you're coming at it from uh, a point where, you know, Ohio State didn't feel like they needed to play this weekend. They, they feel like at 6-0 in a, in a Big Ten champ, they'll be able to get in. And, and from all the indications we've gotten from the committee, that does appear to be the case. They seem to be very well positioned despite the fact that they're going to max out at six games. Well, it's uh, it's it's a wild kind of year to try to be a part of any of this decision making, and we kind of argued back and forth whether this was the easiest or worst year for the committee. And I would argue for Big Ten folks as well, they've been presented with a number of challenges that they weren't quite ready for. Nicole Auerbach with us here from the Athletic Senior College Football Writer. Quickly before we let you go, because we're out of time here, uh, can you just give us the latest on LSU? Yeah, so LSU um, announced that they're self-imposing a bowl ban. It's, it's basically an extension of their self-imposed penalties and scholarship reductions um, from earlier involving a recruit's parent and um, Odell Beckham at the championship game and the cash 
flying around, which I still um, find a very funny way to get in violation and it's double A violation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was clearly a year that, you know, everyone is eligible for bowl games, but LSU does not want to play in the quality bowl game that they would be uh, up for. So makes a lot of sense, you know, when, when these programs self-imposed bowl bans on years that they uh, they don't want to play the bowl anyway. So that's that's really just an extension of, of some of those uh, penalties they imposed a couple months ago. Awesome stuff, Nicole. Thanks for always keeping us up to date on this. Great work, Absolutely. Nicole. Anytime, guys. Nicole Auerbach giving you the Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, a rule in the NBA that kind of loosens things up. And we've got some questions for you about who's going to rock this or potentially fail this. It's coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Changes afoot in the NBA. You know, real big ones with their schedule and their start time and everything else. But the more important one, of course, is that they have announced that there will be changes to coaching attire. They are going to loosen up the guidelines and rules for coaches on the sidelines. That means suit jackets will be optional. Masks will not be. Those will be required. But they will be able to wear... Uh, you know, all sorts of other tops, whether that be a business shirt or dress shirt, a polo shirt, uh, no sweatpants, no jogging pants, but they won't have to wear a sport jacket anymore. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. Fitz, I feel like this is a good decision because it's absurd to wear a suit jacket next to a bunch of seven-foot dudes sweating all over you in tank tops and shorts. Yeah, you know, I just always get a little weirded out by the general concept of, you know, we're going to go business casual because that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. Like in the South, business casual is like, oh, those are my nice jeans, right? Like, but in other parts of the country, it's like, I don't know, you're, you're supposed to wear khakis and not jeans. And like, I didn't know that, you know, if you have like shorts are frowned upon, like not like athletic shorts, but like golf shorts or whatever, like frowned upon in certain business establishments, coffee, ESPN. Like I had no idea. I was just <laughs> rolling up on campus wearing shorts one day and everybody's like, oh, you're not allowed to wear that. I'm like, really? really? I, I, I mean, I didn't know that. I, I, yeah, yeah, and it turns out that I did it on the same day that a memo was sent out reminding everybody not to wear shorts. So I felt terrible doing it. So I get a little worried, like the business casual suddenly we're going to end up with like a coach that's back there, and it's like, no, nah, these are my these are my you know buckle jeans with the bedazzled backs, and you know like the the I, I don't know, Sarah, I'm a little nervous. I mean, I think there are still some guidelines to protect against the absurd extremes. Uh, I love uh, Coach Carlisle saying there's a visual extreme. One staff looks like they're at a wedding and the other looks like they're about to tee off. Uh, this is the idea of, you know, some coach wearing like a polo shirt against another. I, I do think there's going to be a bit more extremes than we're used to uh, with with, you know, maybe some coaches will still be comfortable in the sport jacket and choose that instead. Um, but uh, at least we won't have the full uh, as I think Tim Cowlishaw called it today on Around the Horn, the sports writer casual, which based on my time in the clubhouses and locker rooms was like a, a pair of sweatpants and a raggedy sweatshirt with holes in it. Uh, they thought that that was appropriate. <laughs> so I think there will be a level of expectation above that. But this has always made sense to me. It makes sense to me in the NFL. It makes sense to me in baseball. It, it, it confounds me that we ask like 70-year-old men to be wearing a full baseball uniform. Like, it doesn't make any <laughs> sense. I know that you're on a field and the dugout and there's like dust and dirt, but you could still wear a sharp-looking sort of athleisure suit that is, you know, logoed up and everything else, and that would look much better on, I don't know, a dusty baker than a full baseball uniform. 
Look, I, not only that, but it's a sales opportunity. Like, if you're somebody that is watching a game and then you see the manager come out on the on the field and he's wearing something that's cool that you like, you're like, oh, I'm going to go look for that. You know, like how often in the NFL, every time there's a new hat that's worn on the sideline, they're like, that's our big sideline cap for this year, right? Like, give me give me at least some stylish, fashionable options for somebody. Uh, otherwise, we should all just start wearing, you know, the entire get-up head-to-toe. Could you imagine if you went into, like, a Buffalo Wild Wings on a Sunday and everybody was wearing football pants and jerseys, the whole get-up head-to-toe just to show their fandom? Honestly, I don't want to imagine that because there are some <laughs> NFL players – in peak condition that still can't pull off a tight white pant. So I don't need to see someone at Buffalo Wild Wings trying to rock a tight white pant, and I certainly don't need to see some of these coaches, which actually has me wondering, okay, if you were looking at, say, NFL, MLB, and NBA, I think those are the those are the leagues that we know the coaches best. I'll leave out WNBA. I'll leave out NHL. Which coaches in the NFL – NBA and MLB, would you most like to see in a full uniform on the sideline for good reasons or nefarious? Like, I will offer up, uh, based on the opinions of others, certainly not mine, that I'm sure Matt LaFleur would look nice. Oh, oh, okay. See, you no, would not, not me. I'm just, people are, some well, people, other people are saying, other people, some yeah. people are saying that Matt LaFleur might be able to pull it off. No, you know, I, I could see that. I, I could see that as a uh, Cliff Kingsbury would probably be on that same list for right. some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some, as, as some, a, people, are some are people are saying some people are saying that. I more want to see like full midriff showing like Andy <laughs> Reid in the really <laughs> tiny like punter pants. Oh, I want punter Zeke pants style. and a tiny punter uniform. pants yeah, and a yeah. Zeke top. Oof. <laughs> All right, well, you guys need to help us out. Uh, I'm going to put this up on at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz. Of those three uh, leagues, which coaches would you most like to see in full uniform on the sideline, either for positive reasons or nefarious ones? Offer those up. We'll put up some polls later based on your recommendations and, and see who gets the nod there. Um, I, By the I, way, I, uh, Sarah, you, you mentioned the NHL. I would be all in in eliminating suits for hockey <laughs> coaches as well, just so they could wear, like, I want to see the fashionable sweater game. Like, there's got to be some level of fashionable hockey sweater that could become, oh, like, a whole thing. No, That's we're going to get a whole bunch of Barry Melrose's, and uh, why am I blanking on old boy? It's up in Canada who it sticks his foot in his mouth and wears awful outfits. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Don Cherry, yeah. Thank John, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's there's a bunch. I, I don't know if I need to see whatever they consider to be a fashion choice. <laughs> <laughs> hey, whatever Barry Melrose wears is an American treasure. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, we'll ask you guys that. You guys can let us know. Um, I guess in the baseball early days, you know, a manager was, uh, was you know, someone who kept the books and arranged travel and made sure everything ran smoothly. And so... Uh, that's why they were. That's why they were wearing it. They were a part of being in and out. And uh, the captain wore a uniform because he was a player. So he was like a captain and a player at the same time. Uh, I guess that's the reason. It used to be that player manager thing was a much more likely thing. So in case they were thrust into action, they would be ready to go. I don't know that we need to keep it going, Fitz. Some things that we say we've always done it that way. We could just go ahead and change it. Yeah, just case in point, tiny, tiny short shorts on NBA players in the 80s. Oh, those are with coming the, back. The chucks, like, oh, Some of the man. players you know, are or, getting... Or the, the opposite, like the really super long shorts. Like, who was it? Like, yeah. <laughs> it was the St. Bonaventure player the other day that was all over Twitter, like shorts that literally went down to his ankle. I'm like, either of these extremes seem <laughs> like they're not a good idea. 
All right. Well, you let us know. Uh, speaking of, uh, uh, you know, looking back at things and, and I'm, I'm, I'm remembering, as you said, that not only that, but there was that one NBA all-star year and you bring up the photo shoot from when they all arrived and their suits are all 11 sizes too big. Just do you remember that? Like as if these NBA players didn't already use up enough fabric in in a suit for like a seven foot four dude. These guys were rolling up with the baggiest pants and jackets three sizes too big. Oh, yeah. Which was like in and of it. You, you see those and you wonder, like, will we react the same way now to the fact that everything is like skin tight yeah, on every course. single player? Like, yeah. absolutely. I mean, yeah. we all remember the uh, about 15 or so 16 years ago now when it was uh the lebron wade our uh anthony and bosch draft class just the suits oh, were yeah. some of the worst just the most absolute trash we've ever seen lebron looks like he was getting married uh he had that like full-on white suit uh, I, that one needs to be revisited everybody's pants were like below the bottoms of their shoes nobody had a nobody had a hem not not a single hem in the house um <laughs> But uh, that reminds me, actually, we were just talking about this, too, on Around the Horn, um, the the sort of, like, nostalgia of right now of everybody, because there's not a lot of new stuff to talk about, they're going back and talking about old stuff, whether that's movies, because there's not a lot of new movies out, TV shows, everybody is, the entire NFL is talking about The Office right now, whether it's Baker Mayfield and his pressers or Josh Allen writing back and forth with Rain Wilson. It feels like we're suspended in, like, this weird moment that is not moving forward. It's actually reaching back. And it's so weird to me that it's The Office. Like, I love The Office. It's just, of all the shows to become this quotable machine for everybody right now, I just wouldn't have predicted that. It's one of my favorites. It just caught me off guard. It's the Netflix effect, man. People never stopped watching it. Like, the entirety of the time it's been in existence. There's never been a gap where it got to come back because it's never been gone. Uh, We'll get your answers on the coaches. Coming up, we'll get some answers from Myron Metcalf about a terrible start to the college basketball season and what's next. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. All this conversation about college football, but it's not the only sport right now in the college ranks that is trying to figure out how to navigate a COVID world, and it is not pretty so far for college basketball. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It is a fun way to hear not only the show, but also some exclusive extra content. Yesterday's particularly... Interesting. We'll just say it that way. Get out there, subscribe, <laughs> check it out. And we're presented by Progressive Insurance, and all of our guests appear on the Shell Penzo Performance Line. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, and Sarah, uh, I will say before we bring in our guest quickly, I will say one thing that you were you you really opened my eyes on a few weeks ago was talking about limited roster sizes indoors, all of the challenges of college basketball, and it's something that I just I've been so focused on college football, hadn't put two and two together, and so far early in the season, it looks like your fears were absolutely right. One hundred percent. It's it's all those things. It's small rosters. So as soon as you have a mild spread, you're out. You've got games more often bunched together. So you have an outbreak. Now you've missed four or five instead of just one. No masks, no helmets right on top of each other indoors during the peak spread travel. I mean, add it all together. I do not think it's feasible. I think they should stop right now so that these athletes are able to get home for the holidays and uh, and approach their school year a little bit more normally, and they aim for some sort of May madness in a bubble. Well, and to that end, Coach Duke Coach Mike Krzyzewski on Tuesday 
has been asking, uh, what did ask college basketball to consider whether or not they should keep playing. And so now we're hearing prominent coaches uh, sort of debating this. So with that being said, let's go to the Shell Penzo performance line where Myron Metcalf joins us, co-host of Sunday Morning on ESPN Radio, ESPN College Basketball Reporter. And one of the things I love about having you on, Myron, is that you always say it like it is. So now that we have Coach K coming out, and, and just throwing this out there to the world, how should the college basketball community react? They should listen. I mean, somebody had to say it. I mean, it, it is a mess. And to Sarah's point, I mean, it's all of the fears. I mean, they're, they're coming to fruition. And, and I think, like, to me, what college basketball has to do is, like, make a decision about what it wants. Like, what's the most important thing about the season? And I think everybody would agree it's the NCAA tournament. And I think the energy has to go toward, okay, how do we get to a tournament? Because you're just having a lot of challenges. And this is Coach K talking about this, right? This is a guy who I believe his players are staying in a hotel, a private hotel. He has sort of a mini bubble on campus. So many schools can't do that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of schools I've talked to outside the Power Five are saying, what are we doing? Um, so I think college basketball has to make a decision about what its real priority is, how to safely get to the NCAA tournament, and if right now is the best time to be playing. I completely agree with you, and and it would be the tournament. And if they want to do that, then their funds and their efforts should be put toward creating a safe situation in which to play that. And if they have to expand the field, maybe they do that. We know the reason that sports are being played. A tiny bit of it is to give these athletes the opportunity to compete (laughs) and potentially uh, if they're going to move on to some other level of life and not repeat another year in school just for the sake of another year of eligibility, then they get to play. But for the most part, it's about money. And if it's about money, then the tournament is where most of the money is made, and you're never going to get there with a reasonable approximation of who's good and who's bad the way that it's going. This has started off terribly, Myron, and I do think that Coach K brought up mental health, and I want you to address that too because not only do we have potentially debilitating and deathly effects of the virus now, we have the long-term body effects that we don't know what those could be for, for people, even young people, and we also have... Students on teams, like you mentioned last time you were on in New Mexico, that are just living in Arizona hoping a team will schedule them. Like, that's that's yeah. that's got to be terrible for mental health, especially when you're away from family during this time. Yeah, I'm hearing more and more coaches bring up mental health. I, I had a coach tell me that he had never used the phrase mental health until this year with his team. It just It's just not something he had really processed and thought of. But now with all the quarantining, and to your point, going home for the holidays and all these things that they're dealing with, um, and I also think like an element that's maybe overlooked is people will say, well, these guys are on scholarship and they have these opportunities. Yeah, but they're, they're sort of removed from the rest of the campus. I mean, these programs are doing everything they can to keep them separate. So, so that uh, is a challenge. I had a coach tell me that he had a player who had to quarantine for 49 days, mm-hmm. all because of contact tracing. And his roommate kept getting, you know, roommates got it. And, you know, someone who the roommate worked with got it. And it was just this contact tracing thing. 49 days and at one point the the kid's parents came to campus and said what do we do i mean he's basically trapped essentially for almost two months those are the things that people are talking about and i don't know how we wrap our arms around this because it seems to be getting worse but i think the mental health element is becoming as much of a concern for coaches and ad's uh, as the potential that these kids contract the virus because mentally uh, a lot of people are struggling and a lot of these coaches aren't exactly sure how to handle that 
We're talking to ESPN College Basketball reporter Myron Metcalf. You can also check him out Sunday morning on ESPN Radio. So, Myron, this is the same situation that so many small businesses are dealing with, so many companies are dealing with. How do you find a way to bring in revenue and keep your doors open when you can't safely keep your doors open? So for college basketball, if they take the advice of Coach K or they look at this and decide to shut everything down, how do they handle the revenues portion of this? You know, I, I think we're looking at this from a, real, a basketball standpoint, and that makes sense, and a sports standpoint. But on these campuses, I mean, this is so much bigger than sports. I mean, all these schools are in the same spot trying to figure out revenue, how to generate it. And I think there will be some long-term changes. I think you'll see schools decide that, hey, maybe we're not a D1 program anymore. Maybe we need to change that. The Power Fives will be fine. Uh, and even if they struggle, that money will come back. Uh, but I've talked to a lot of non-Power 5 commissioners, athletic directors who've just said they don't know if they can afford to keep going. They don't know if they can afford to put on a conference tournament. They don't know if they can afford to put all their teams in a bubble. So so there are those financial concerns, but it just feels like more than anything, I think coaches, leaders have accepted that they're going to be in a financial situation, a, a tough situation because of the pandemic. But they're trying to figure out if now is the right time to keep going or if everybody should pause uh, and try to figure out a different solution. The challenge is the NCAA is saying, keep going. They're saying, we're going to hold the tournament in March. We're not going to change that. We committed too much money to March Madness. So it's putting these schools in a tough spot. Uh, If you want to play in the tournament, you kind of have to keep going, but we'll see if that changes. Myron Metcalf, co-host of Sunday Morning on ESPN Radio, ESPN College Basketball Reporter with us here on Spain and Fitz. Myron, one thing we've kind of gotten away from as a media, or at least it feels like that to me, is Talking about the risks for coaches, um, in 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 football, there's sort of more of a natural social distancing. Uh, there's helmets and and it's outside and everything else. I'm I'm concerned about. I mean, even Coach K out of one side of his mouth talking about how there's real risks and we need to shut things down, and on the other side of his mouth pulling the mask down from over his mouth to, to yell at his players during every game. Um, you yeah. know. Is anyone talking about the risks for these coaches indoors with a bunch of players, none of whom are, are most of whom are not masked or helmeted up? Uh, yeah, definitely. And I also think you look at the age of some of these guys, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got a lot of coaches who are over 50, over 60, um, and even more vulnerable. You've had a couple who've already gotten it uh, from Beheim to Tom Izzo. So th- there have been those situations. And, and the games I've seen compared to football, I've seen far more coaches with their masks down or off or when they're trying to yell at someone, they take the mask off. So so you're certainly hearing that. Um, and then just the proximity to everybody. In football, I do think it's maybe easier to keep some distance, but in basketball, that's really difficult. And the other element that a lot of people are talking about is just the officials and how you regulate that. In college basketball, most of these officials work independently, um, and they kind of just fly in, ref the game, go to another game. That That's the path. So there are a lot of people who are concerned that that particular group might be the most dangerous part of college basketball with the potential to spread the virus if they're bouncing around from, from game to game. I mean, overall, I mean, I had a doctor from Yale tell me that she couldn't understand how people would play indoors at this point. Uh, and I think Coach K is maybe the loudest voice, but he's not the only one wondering if any of this makes sense at this point. Myron, we got to let you go, but given what you know and what you've seen and what you're reporting on, do you think that we get through this season? I guarantee we have an NCAA tournament because uh, they can't afford to lose another $375 million. I don't know what it'll look like. I don't know who will be included. Anything before that, 
to me, feels like it's up in the air. Yeah. You guys can check him out Sunday morning on ESPN Radio. Always great work there. Plus, check out all of his writing on it. Myron, we appreciate your time as always, my friend. Thanks for hanging out with us. Stay safe, bud. Thank you. Myron McAfee, Spain and Fitz, brought to you by Shell. V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. We'll keep an eye on that. But in the meantime, there are a bunch of NBA headlines, including a guy that we've all had our eyes on, Giannis. What's he going to do? There's some expertise on it that uh, differs from us. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, were presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah, everybody knows this at this point. I, I just, for whatever reason, I have this draw where I want to see Giannis Antetokounmpo re-sign with the Bucs. I do. I just, I want to see it happen magically. I wanted to see them win an NBA championship last year just because it would give such an opportunity for a team that's not in a major market to go out and do something that hasn't been done before. The Bucks could be relevant for a generation because of it. I've got all these, like, my fan hat wants to find a way to make it sense, make it make sense. But I'm not sure as we get closer and closer to his deadline to sign the Supermax, I'm not sure I feel any better about it today than I did a few weeks ago. Like, I want this to happen, but I'm just not sure it's in the cards right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think that we're going to still wait and see on this. He spoke today, and he was very wisely sort of essentially left it up to, I'm working on my game. I'm not championship or bust, meaning I'm not saying if we can't win this year, that means I'm out. But of course I do care about that, and I'm going to leave it up to my reps to handle the contract stuff. Somebody who's leaning towards Giannis is going to leave will read that as, all right, well, that that means he's not going to sign. He would have done it already. Someone who's leaning towards he's going to stay would say that's just a wise guy making sure all the ducks are in a row before he signs a contract. There's no need to. He's still got time. And that he still cares the most about playing basketball and helping his family. And this is the deal that's going to do that because it involves the most money. Amin Hassan is one of the former. Here's what he said on the jump. If he had a strong desire to stay in Milwaukee, he'd sign a Supermax extension. Now, obviously, he's still got a couple of weeks before he has to make that decision. But the reality is no one in Milwaukee can feel good if he doesn't sign it by then. That doesn't mean it's all over, but clearly something has shaken his confidence in the situation for him not to take this enormous big bag of money right now. Hmm. You agree with that? No, you know, I want <laughs> to agree with it. Uh, I've gone back and forth. You know, I've thought about it uh, since I heard what Amin said. And there's a part of me that says, well, yeah, I mean, why would you why would you wait? There's another part of me that says, well, you've got a whole team that does take care of these things. And, and you know, look, all we can do is think about any not that any of us would know what it's like to have a Supermax uh, contract in front of us. But we work in a business that's contracted. I know some guys that are obsessed about their contract every day and that's all they think about. I know other guys that are genuinely and girls that are will turn around and say, yeah, no, nah, my agent's handling. I have no idea where it is. Like, I, I can honestly see that if you're an NBA player that's coming out of and saying, man, between COVID and between uh, the way I played in the bubble and the fact that I didn't get enough done. I've got other things on my mind. I'll let my agent tell me where we are. Like, I can see all of those things making sense. Now, it doesn't mean that Amin's logic's wrong for how I would handle it, but I also don't know that we can apply that to somebody else. Yeah, and I think guessing at what he's going to do and what he's thinking is certainly going to be the job of many during this time, um, but that's all it will be, unless you have an inside source who's talking to Giannis or his family. Um, I do think that they've done their best, and... 
they've put the pieces around them that they could within the constraints of what they have right now. And, and there's opportunities in the future to add even more. Um, but but I thought I thought Giannis didn't move the needle in either direction for me today. I, I still my gut says he's going to sign in Milwaukee because he does prioritize wanting to just be great at basketball and wanting to be able to provide for his family. Um, but that's yet to be seen. Uh, speaking well, of and yet Sarah, to, by the way, even if he signs that deal, he's like, why not sign the deal? Because if he doesn't want to play there anymore in a year, he'll just do what James Harden did and say he right. wants out. Right? Like, I mean, <laughs> right, exactly. It's uh, unfortunately it's, the the player empowerment stuff that I'm very much a fan of can take a negative turn at times. And you are welcome to ask for a trade if you feel like the team you play for is not making moves toward a championship, is not supporting you, is not making good use of your skill. But in the case of James Harden, the Rockets have done anything he's asked and everything he's asked. He's not even into year two of a four-year deal that's paying him $40 million every year. And the way he's acting in order to try to get out of there is actually hurting their ability to trade him. It's taking away any leverage that they might have. And now because of his partying with the the baby or whatever, little baby, dub baby, whichever baby it is, now he has to have six straight COVID-19 tests turn out negative before he's allowed to practice at all. That's assuming he even wants to because, you know, he hasn't been reporting to practice. He's been hanging out in Vegas instead. Well, and and I think what hits me with all that is this is a period of adjustment for Houston. Now, maybe it isn't going to be that big of an adjustment for for Harden, but for everybody else there, they've got to figure this out. Like, this is the first time in a long time that there are new pieces and there is a new coaching staff and there will be a different offense. And whether or not he thinks he can adjust for anyone, that's his practice. We're really talking about practice. Well, everybody else around him needs to have this opportunity to get some rhythm for Harden. So he is, in this moment, absolutely. Absolutely, like in the world of conduct detrimental to the team, this is as detrimental to the Rockets early in the season as you can possibly get if he decides that he's not going to be a part of practice. And yeah, then for his personal activity to keep him out for an extra six consecutive days because of the COVID-19 testing is just a reminder that nothing is simple anymore in the NBA and you got to live a certain way if you want to be able to play. For him not to do it is the epitome of selfish. Yeah, to your point, in a regular season, it would be annoying enough to be holding out. But in a regular season, you might be able to make the decision, okay, I'm, I'm done doing this. I've made my point. Now I'm going to hop in. We've got a real short amount of time with this new look roster to get ready. we got a new coach, traded players, drafted players, season's coming up on us. Every game matters because it's a shorter season. I'm ready to go. Okay, well, you're ready now? Cool. Okay, starting today, we need you to pass this many tests in order to come back. Right? Like, so you can't come back when you decide to. You first have to go through all the protocol to get back on the court, and that delays even longer his ability to be with that team. Well, and, and there's no easy solution for the Rockets. Whatever happens here, they're, they're the ones that are sort of they're up a creek. What do they do? If they force him to try and be part of this and he only becomes more sort of disenfranchised with the entire thing, then what version of Harden are they get? If they trade him, they have no leverage. Like This is a worst-case scenario across the board for the Rockets. It's a worst-case scenario for that team. And it's a reminder that as much as we're talking about Giannis today, it all comes back to contracts that guys can just walk away from wherever they want. Now, one relationship that can't seem to walk away in the NBA is the relationship between LeBron and Kyrie. And, you know, it's always surprising to me. Like, we are getting a different version, Sarah, of LeBron as he gets older and older. He just gets more, 
I don't know, more comfortable just speaking his mind. So when he's talking about, you know, the things that have been said and the way he reacts and feels about what the way Kyrie has handled some things, I think that's surprising to see this level of honesty from an athlete at this point. Yeah, but I think he's gotten to a point where his success post Kyrie is obviously greater than Kyrie's success post LeBron. And I wouldn't say there's a non-zero chance that his coming off yet another title makes him feel like opening up even more, right? I, I, I'm flying high. I'm having success. Me and AD just signed for even more success. And I feel even more confident and comfortable saying that, you know, I've, I have the upper hand over this guy. In the end, I think it's teammates are like family. Usually you don't get to pick them. Now, in the case of uh, Harden and LeBron, and sometimes you do get to pick who you want to play with. But in this case, they were thrust together. They had some success. But that doesn't mean that they were meant to be friends or meant to work out well together. And I think we see a lot of the residual stuff that went on between them the entirety of their tenure in Cleveland coming out now. We also see that LeBron, just like most NBA players, really do read and and listen to everything that comes out. Is he reacting to Kyrie Irving's comments? In a podcast. I'm just saying, like, it is strange to see that level of reaction coming uh, from a player. Coming up, Game Changers, uh, we're going to get a a little bit of sight here on somebody that's been through, uh, I don't know the best way to tease it. Game Changers coming next, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah, everybody knows this at this point. I, I just, for whatever reason, I have this draw where I want to see Giannis Antetokounmpo re-sign with the Bucs. I do. I just, I want to see it happen magically. I wanted to see them win an NBA championship last year just because it would give such an opportunity for a team that's not in a major market to go out and do something that hasn't been done before. The Bucks could be relevant for a generation because of it. Got all these, like, my fan hat wants to find a way to make it sense, make it make sense. But I'm not sure as we get closer and closer to his deadline to sign the Supermax, I'm not sure I feel any better about it today than I did a few weeks ago. Like, I want this to happen, but I'm just not sure it's in the cards right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think that we're going to still wait and see on this. He spoke today, and he was very wisely sort of essentially left it up to, I'm working on my game. I'm not championship or bust, meaning I'm not saying if we can't win this year, that means I'm out. But of course I do care about that, and I'm going to leave it up to my reps to handle the contract stuff. Somebody who's leaning towards Giannis is going to leave will read that as, all right, well, that that means he's not going to sign. He would have done it already. Someone who's leaning towards he's going to stay would say that's just a wise guy making sure all the ducks are in a row before he signs a contract. There's no need to. He's still got time. And that he still cares the most about playing basketball and helping his family. And this is the deal that's going to do that because it involves the most money. Amin Hassan is one of the former. Here's what he said on the jump. If he had a strong desire to stay in Milwaukee, he'd sign the Supermax extension. Now, obviously, he's still got a couple of weeks before he has to make that decision. But the reality is no one in Milwaukee can feel good if he doesn't sign it by then. That doesn't mean it's all over, but clearly something has shaken his confidence in the situation for him not to take this enormous big bag of money right now. Hmm. You agree with that? No, you know, I want <laughs> to agree with it. Uh, I've gone back and forth. You know, I've thought about it uh, since I heard what Amin said. And there's a part of me that says, well, yeah, I mean, why would you, why would you wait? There's another part of me that says, 
Well, you've got a whole team that does take care of these things. And, and you know, look, all we can do is think about any – not that any of us would know what it's like to have a Supermax uh, contract in front of us, but we work in a business that's contracted. I know some guys that are obsessed about their contract every day, and that's all they think about. I know other guys that are genuinely – and girls that are will turn around and say, yeah, no, nah, my agent's handling it. I have no idea where it is. Like, I, I can honestly see that. If you're an NBA player that's coming out of and saying, man, between COVID and between uh, the way I played in the bubble and the fact that I didn't get enough done, I've got other things on my mind. I'll let my agent tell me where we are. Like, I can see all of those things making sense. Now, it doesn't mean that it means logic's wrong for how I would handle it, but I also don't know that we can apply that to somebody else. Yeah, and I think guessing at what he's going to do and what he's thinking is certainly going to be the job of many during this time, Um, but that's all it will be, unless you have an inside source who's talking to Giannis or his family. Um, I do think that they've done their best, and... They've put the pieces around them that they could within the constraints of what they have right now, and there's opportunities in the future to add even more. Um, but but I thought I thought Giannis didn't move the needle in either direction for me today. I, I still my gut says he's going to sign in Milwaukee because he does prioritize wanting to just be great at basketball and wanting to be able to provide for his family. Um, but that's yet to be seen. Uh, speaking well, of and yesterday, Sarah, by the way, even if he signs that deal, he's like, why not sign the deal? Because if he doesn't want to play there anymore in a year, he'll just do what James Harden did and say he right. wants out. Right? Like, I mean, <laughs> right, exactly. It's uh, unfortunately it's, the the player empowerment stuff that I'm very much a fan of can take a negative turn at times. And you are welcome to ask for a trade if you feel like the team you play for is not making moves toward a championship, is not supporting you, is not making good use of your skill. But in the case of James Harden, the Rockets have done anything he's asked and everything he's asked. He's not even into year two of a four-year deal that's paying him $40 million every year. And the way he's acting in order to try to get out of there is actually hurting their ability to trade him. It's taking away any leverage that they might have. And now because of his partying with the the baby or whatever, little baby, dub baby, whichever baby it is, now he has to have six straight COVID-19 tests turn out negative before he's allowed to practice at all. That's assuming he even wants to because, you know, he hasn't been reporting to practice. He's been hanging out in Vegas instead. Well, and and I think what hits me with all that is this is a period of adjustment for Houston. Now, maybe it isn't going to be that big of an adjustment for for Harden, but for everybody else there, they've got to figure this out. Like, this is the first time in a long time that there are new pieces and there is a new coaching staff and there will be a different offense. And whether or not he thinks he can adjust for anyone, that's his practice. We're really talking about practice. Well, everybody else around him needs to have this opportunity to get some rhythm for Harden. So he is, in this moment, absolutely, Absolutely. Like in the world of conduct detrimental to the team, this is as detrimental to the Rockets early in the season as you can possibly get if he decides that he's not going to be a part of practice. And yeah, then for his personal activity to keep him out for an extra six consecutive days because of the COVID-19 testing is just a reminder that nothing is simple anymore in the NBA and you got to live a certain way if you want to be able to play. For him not to do it is the epitome of selfish. Yeah, to your point, in a regular season, it would be annoying enough to be holding out. But in a regular season, you might be able to make the decision, okay, I'm, I'm done doing this. I've made my point. Now I'm going to hop in. We've got a real short amount of time with this new look roster to get ready. we got a new coach, traded players, drafted players, season's coming up on us. Every game matters because it's a shorter season. I'm ready to go. Okay, well, you're ready now? Cool. Okay, starting today, we need you to pass this many tests in order to come back. Right? Like, 
So you can't come back when you decide to. You first have to go through all the protocol to get back on the court, and that delays even longer his ability to be with that team. Well, and, and there's no easy solution for the Rockets. Whatever happens here, they're, they're the ones that are sort of they're up a creek. What do they do? If they force him to try and be part of this and he only becomes more sort of disenfranchised with the entire thing, then what version of Harden are they get? If they trade him, they have no leverage. Like This is a worst-case scenario across the board for the Rockets. It's a worst-case scenario for that team. And it's a reminder that as much as we're talking about Giannis today, it all comes back to contracts that guys can just walk away from wherever they want. Now, one relationship that can't seem to walk away in the NBA is the relationship between LeBron and Kyrie. And, you know, it's always surprising to me. Like, we are getting a different version, Sarah, of LeBron as he gets older and older. He just gets more, I don't know, more comfortable just speaking his mind. So when he's talking about, you know, the things that have been said and the way he reacts and feels about what the way Kyrie has handled some things, I think that's surprising to see this level of honesty from an athlete at this point. Yeah, but I think he's gotten to a point where his success post-Kyrie is obviously greater than Kyrie's success post-LeBron. And I wouldn't say there's a non-zero chance that his coming off yet another title makes him feel like opening up even more, right? I'm flying high. I'm having success. Me and AD just signed for even more success. And I feel even more confident and comfortable saying that, you know, I have the upper hand over this guy. In the end, I think it's teammates are like family. Usually... You don't get to pick them. Now, in the case of uh, Harden and LeBron, and sometimes you do get to pick who you want to play with. But in this case, they were thrust together. They had some success. But that doesn't mean that they were meant to be friends or meant to work out well together. And I think we see a lot of the residual stuff that went on between them the entirety of their tenure in Cleveland coming out now. We also see that LeBron, just like most NBA players, really do read and and listen to everything that comes out. Is he's reacting to Kyrie Irving's comments. In a podcast. I'm just saying, like, it is strange to see that level of reaction coming uh, from a player. Coming up, Game Changers. Uh, we're going to get a, a little bit of sight here on somebody that's been through, uh, I don't know the best way to tease it. Game Changers coming next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, hanging out with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're going to get back to some of those coaches you'd like to see in official uniforms on the sidelines. Some good answers from that. Also back into some college football talk. But right now, uh, we're going to introduce Jason to a segment we started over the summer back with Spain and company. I think this is your first Game Changers, Fitz. Am I right? It is. Yes. I'm Excellent. Excited. Well, in this series, we welcome women onto the show who are working in predominantly male positions or fields and talk to them about how they how they made it there and the challenges uh and and joining us for this one is an extra special local game changer so let's get to it in the world of men's professional sports many women are breaking through and making their mark they're not going to be looking at him sideways the reason why i take so much objection he is that. literally running with the entire team the nba is actually facing backlash on both sides their stories are told here on spain and fits time for this edition of game changers that's right game changers and it's kendall coin Schofeld, the chicago blackhawks player development coach and youth hockey growth specialist also an ambassador for the team in uh, uh, near her hometown here in the Chicago area. Uh, some of you may remember her best from her work on the Olympic hockey team. Some of you may remember her from her dazzling effort at the uh, NHL All-Star Week, um, fastest skater competition in the All-Star Skills Challenge. Kendall, thanks for hopping on with us. Sarah, Jason, thanks for having me. Honored to be on. 
Okay, you've been a game changer in so many different ways, uh, whether it was that moment um, at the All-Star Skills Challenge, whether it was, um, you know, your play for the women's team. But this job with the Blackhawks is a really big deal. The first time a woman coach is working in player development and youth hockey specialists. So um, let's talk about your actual job. What are the what are the skills that are required of this and what will your everyday look like? Yes, yeah, Sarah, it is a big deal. And I think growing up 22 miles southwest of the United Center, this is a team I've always dreamed to be on. And, you know, as of two weeks ago, I'm officially on it. Um, and, I've, you know, talking to you guys here tonight, I've had two weeks of, of getting my feet wet and, and, you know, learning a lot about our prospects, watching some games, writing some reports. And so, uh, you know, what does my job entail? Uh, it, it's making sure our prospects are, are ready for the NHL when the time comes. It's developing them. Uh, through you know their their minor hockey right now, whether they're in college, whether they're playing major juniors or whatever it might be, and and it's watching those games, it's creating developmental plans so that when they do sign their first pro contract, uh, they're in track to put on a Blackhawks jersey. Uh, and then on the youth hockey growth specialist side of things, it's continuing to do what I've uh, been doing for a lot of years now with Chicago. Uh, I've been doing it the last six seven years um, as a community ambassador, and now. That, that title has been formalized into Youth Hockey Growth Specialist, and it's continuing to introduce the game of hockey to young boys and girls in the Chicago area, uh, getting them excited about the game, introducing them to the game, watching them take their first steps on the ice, just like <laughs> I did uh, right down the street from, from them, and, and making sure that they love the game just like I do. And I hope that they continue to stay in the game, and, and we want to continue to build programs and initiatives that makes the game more accessible, makes the game more affordable, and makes the game equally as enjoyable. And so uh, continuing that work as well and, and doing it with the Chicago Blackhawks, my hometown team, I, I can't be more honored. So, Kendall, as somebody that is a game changer, you're doing this as a female in a largely male-dominated capacity, right? Like, uh, what kind of resistance, if any, have you gotten from the prospects that you've started to talk to? Uh, none. Uh, and I think it speaks volumes to talent sees talent. Um, I think the resistance comes from the outside. And I think the resistance comes from, you know, not many people being in this in this job before. I, actually, no one being in this exact job before. But I think once you get in the door and you, and you knock down the door, you run through that door. And once I, you know, I, I've entered the door with the Chicago Blackhawks years and years ago, they've accept, accepted me. They've, they've seen me as talent. They've seen me as an asset to this organization. And ultimately, that's why they hired me. And I know I'm the first woman that a lot of these players will work with. I'm the first woman that will be breaking down film with them. But at the end of the day, you know, I've, I've made it to the pinnacle of my sport and that's the, their ultimate goal as well. And so I can relate to them. And, and something that's unique about my position is that I'm also still playing. Um, I'm wearing a lot of hats, but I'm still playing. So I can relate to them on that level as well as, you know, I, I know the grind. I, I know how challenging these times are as an elite athlete. And so relating to them uh, on that level as well uh, is something that's unique other than, you know, being one of the first women, you know, that has broken down film or coached them or whatever the case may be. Um, but I, I, I truly believe in, in just the, the two weeks that I've, I've experienced so far, I haven't had any resistance. I've been, I've been welcomed with open arms and, and the ultimate respect to, to do my job. Love to hear that. Kendall Quinn Schofeld, Chicago Blackhawks uh, coach now, uh, two-time Olympian, won a silver, won a gold. Um, and someone you've heard a lot about breaking down barriers. One of the things I love, Kendall, uh, especially because I've personally gotten to spend a fair amount of time with you, is you are so small. 
Um, like there's, there's, uh, you're five foot two. Um, and it stands out when you hang out with me, it stands out when you hang out with your husband, who's a giant NFL player, but also with these players. And yeah, there's some, there's some shorties in hockey, maybe more so than other sports, but how does your physical stature, if at all affect your, your ability to command a room or these players, does that ever come into play for you? No, it's all about my knowledge. It's all about what I can bring to the table. And uh, it's funny because a lot of people have tried to use my size as an excuse. I would say more from a playing aspect of you're too small to do this or you're, you know, you're, you're too small to do that. But I, I, I put that aside at a young age realizing, you know what, my size is one thing I can't control, but my strength is something that I can. And so I took ownership in the weight room and, and I've been the strongest player I absolutely can be every time I step on the ice. And because I know that's something I can control. And I think that I have the same mindset when I go to the table. Yeah, I might look different. Yeah, I might have, you know, a ponytail and, and uh, a different <laughs> physical makeup than most of the people at the table. However, uh, my knowledge of the game is, is the same, if not better. And that's what Fit. I'm going to bring to the table. And that's what I'm going to, you know, analyze our prospects with. And, and the one thing is, I, I know the game of hockey. I've been around it since I was three years old. And and there's no one that can tell me differently. They can tell me I'm small. They can tell me I don't belong. But uh, when they start to pick my brain apart of the game, you know, they'll realize that I do belong. Yeah, quickly, Fitz, for those who haven't seen it, uh, there is video of her squatting with her NFL player husband on, like, piggyback. Uh, so if you wanna if you wanna know whether she's put in the work in the Good weight God. room to keep up, it's pretty wild <laughs> if you check out her Instagram. So I always think Sarah, it's interesting, we all Kendall. When... During quarantine, we all did. Uh, we all did weird <laughs> things at home to stay in shape. And, and by the way, like in our limited time hanging out so far in this, like Kendall, you you have that energy. It makes me want to run through a wall. Like it's amazing. <laughs> it's incredible. I can see why this has gone so incredibly well for you, above and beyond just your natural talents and, and hard work. So anytime somebody's changing the game. I always want to like look back at their influences because nobody paved this road for you. Mm-hmm. So who was it that really influenced you to help you take this step? Uh, Jason, this is my favorite question of the night because I'm not here without so many people, without so many people who paved the way for me, so many women who paved the way for me and provided, uh, you know, this opportunity, this platform that I have. And, you know, it's, it's my job to, you know, build upon this platform and provide an opportunity for the, the ones who will come after me. And that's what excites me so much about this job is, you know, being the first is exciting. It's overwhelming. It's nerve wracking, but it's the best because you're providing an opportunity for the next. Um, and that's what I love the most. And I can't wait to see who comes next, but I wouldn't be in this position without one of my role models, my heroes, uh, one of the strongest influencers in my life in Cami Granado. Mm. Um, I met her in Downers Grove at her hockey, excuse me, in, in Woodridge. She's from Downers Grove. I met her in Woodridge at her hockey camp when I was seven years old, over a hundred girls in the rink at that time, at a time in which I didn't even know girls played hockey. I never, I never saw them. And Cami put this camp together right after she won the first ever gold medal for Team USA at the uh, 1998 Winter Olympic Games and the inauguration of women's hockey in the Olympics. And I held her gold medal and I turned to my parents and said, I want to go to the Olympics. Um, and, you know, even though Cammie and I, we've gotten older, we've accomplished so many things. Um, you know, I, I still text her and say, you're still my role model. I still look up to you very dearly. And um, even when she became the, the first female pro scout with the Seattle Kraken, um, at the time it was just Seattle, um, you know, I, she opened my eyes to, to believing what I can do and believing what, you know, what, what barriers can be broken, what more can be done uh, within the game of hockey. Um, so she continues to inspire me. Um, and she continues to inspire me to want to inspire others, just like she did to me. I'll never be Cami Granado, um, <laughs> but if I can be that source of inspiration and, and motivation and um, 
you know, provide opportunities like, like she did for me at such a young age. I, I hope I can be that, that source of inspiration for, for young boys and girls in, in hockey. That's so well said, Kendall. Kendall uh, Coyne-Schofeld with us here, Chicago Blackhawks player development coach and youth hockey growth specialist, in addition to being uh, still a player and a competitor of her own right with the women's team. Uh, thank you so much for coming on with us. I can't wait to see what you do with the Hawks and in a very weird season that we're still sort of getting some details on. Uh, but we look forward to it and, and, and appreciate you giving us some time, Kendall. Sarah, Jason, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'll be Thanks, hitting you Kendall. up for those tickets. Thanks, Kendall. <laughs> if fans are allowed <laughs> yeah that's right whenever fans are allowed i'll i'll, I'll be patient uh kendall coy Schofeld, uh she's the best and uh you can just tell like you said fit she's uh God, she's, she's not only an, like just crazy talent energy, but the energy like, and the intellect uh, and uh the knowledge is there and so uh, she's a perfect person to kind of break down this door for the women coming behind her espn radio is presented by progressive insurance progressive's home quote explorer is changing the way you buy home insurance now you can go online get a custom quote and save both time and money learn more at progressive.com coming up we'll get back to the big big 10 news from today plus your tweets on coaches you'd like to see in full uniform it's next on espn radio spain and fitz the podcast awesome stuff from uh kendall there can't wait for those free tickets i feel like fitz Ask for some merch as well while I'm at yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, you, you win tickets. I would go, like, swag. But, I mean, yeah, the tickets are fine. Tickets are I got good. a lot of swag. It's yeah, Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, swagger. Jason Fitz. Oh, we're talking about clothes. I get it. I thought you were talking about my natural swagger. <laughs> uh, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app's Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Some days we'll have a little pre-party or an after-party that you can only get digitally on the podcast, not over the air. So you never want to miss anything. Uh, oh, and, and we had fun one yesterday. Too, sometimes. What's that? Bad? Well, there's lots bad of words bad sometimes. words. <laughs> I'm going to find an outlet where I'm allowed to use the F-bomb because it's bleeped out on all the podcasts I'm on. And I just I need full freedom of expression outside of my own home, which is where it's most often utilized. Uh, so one day I will get it to the status where I'm allowed to just full on drop some F-bombs. Uh, some of the coaches that you guys suggested you would like to see in full uniform would absolutely be dropping an F-bomb if they were required to do so. Because um, you guys came up with some good ones. Um, coach K, we didn't ask for college coaches, but I still would like to see Coach K in a full basketball uniform. Um uh, in at, either, like the tiny shorts or the long shorts. Or the, one, oh my God, I'm the long it. might be even better. Might be oh, even yeah, the better. long would be good. Uh, at Jefferson Wolf, uh, hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed to be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation. Mike McCarthy uh, in a white jersey. He'd look like Baymax from Big Hero 6. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, at John J. Murphy IV, I'd like to see Vrabel in full uniform, if only for once to see him run on the field and flatten a running back. Uh, I could see that for sure. Uh, at Justin's Mike, hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed with news from Spain and Fitz Nation that he would like to see Andy Reid and Pete Carroll. <laughs> Something like they're complete opposites, but like for, for completely different reasons, that would be funny. I think that's a, that's a nice little odd couple coupling there. A lot of, lot of football mentions there. I mean, I think that's, there's a lot of good. I will also take, though, if we're going to go NBA uh, type coaches, like I would take Pop in like the old school. Absolutely. Like not, not, like in the 90s, uh, long baggy shorts popping, that would look good too. <laughs> uh, the thing that's funny about some of these is like whatever they normally wear, sort of they spin younger than you would think. Like I always think, I always forget that Pete Carroll is, is, is 69 years old. Like if you threw him in a uniform, I think that would become more clear. Popovich is 71. 
Wow. Like when they're wearing just a, a, a suit or a warm up, they kind of can like skew younger. But you throw them in an actual uniform and all of a sudden you're like, oh, they old. <laughs> now I do. Now I suddenly think instead of putting them in a uniform, can we put like all of the coaches in since they don't have to wear a suit and tie this year or coat this year? Maybe we put them in like the velvet, like velour type jump, like warm up oh, suits. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm all in for that. Like just some. Bad, tight, velvet, like... What was that Will Ferrell movie? That kind of vibe? Oh, yeah, like semi-pro, right? Yeah, Yeah. Um, semi-pro. At Marcus Flinders, how about Tibbs in some John Stockton shorts and knee highs? That would be be magical. But we all know that Tibbs wears the same outfit every day, so he doesn't waste any time having to pick clothes. So uh, that same, like, Adidas jumpsuit or whatever, he'd have to get away from that. Uh, I am JC Smooth One. I want to see Brad Stevens in an NBA uniform. He'd look like the skinny short kid at the end of every Midwest high school team's bench. He wouldn't be even more often mistaken for someone that snuck into the locker room and not the coach if he was dressed up. Uh, The last couple, Stan Van Gundy, a lot of you said. uh, Untouchable Kaz won one of our best listeners uh, throughout. Stan Van Gundy wants to see Mike Tomlin in a uni. I also would like to see that just because it would really send home a lot of his messaging if he looked like he was about to tackle you right after uh, making fun of you for your drops. Um, And then Brian Flores at Kayo underscore Panda one. Yeah, if he was in a full uniform in that fight with the Bengals, I think we would have seen some swings. Uh, I think he was probably limited only by the fact that, A, he was supposed to be coaching, but, B, he was not fully padded up. I think we missed on a couple of these, though, like in the college football landscape. Like, I want to see Saban in a jersey, like in the full football I did say NFL and NBA, so you're right. I should have opened it up to college because you're right. First of all, are you as annoyed by that Saban ad where he cannot act for a lick and he's talking about I can't give out these jackets to anyone? Yeah, no, it's terrible. You know I it's can't terrible. play favorites. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I, I can't handle it. I hate it so much. I literally the other day dove over my couch toward the remote to hit mute because I was like I can't hear it again. I'm I'm all in though for like the concept of really high shoulder pads so his head looks really small just barely <laughs> popping over it and he's still yelling with all that anger and fire coming out like I I think that that would be a a version of Nick Saban that I'd be all in for and you're right like Nick Saban the actor like let's let's be clear we can debate all day long Baker Mayfield the quarterback we cannot debate Baker Mayfield the pitchman I mean no, he can crushes. he can sell anything king of the like, ads. And his fiance too. Is it fiance? I think fiance. Uh, she's good too in those. Uh, yeah, like people are, people are getting antsy. To, How long on the turkey? Uh, he needs to be on SNL at this point, right? Yeah, like, not quite. I yet, don't really care yeah. where the season. You have goes. a couple more good seasons, and he's he's in there for that. I appreciate at W Saka Locks who also said Lafleur because uh, some people are saying that. Um, some people. Some people are saying that. Uh, Phil Jackson in an old school uni. Uh, we've seen that. We saw it during the last dance. Uh, uh, but now would be interesting. Yeah, now See, would be I'd rather very- have Phil Jackson in the '90s shorts, the long. Like I'm now obsessed yes. with the concept now the of old the, like, people- down to the ankle yeah. shorts. Yeah, because I think you're right. It feels more right for those people to have the short shorts than it does to see them in those big baggy unis. Uh, well, uh, we'll see what the NBA coaches come up with with these new relaxed guidelines. Uh, I don't think they will be allowed to go full uniform, although that would be hilarious. And honestly, if I were an NFL coach, I might consider, you know, we, we heard about McCarthy and those watermelons pulling the Gallagher routine. I might show up in full pads one day to see if I can motivate my guys with a few laughs. 
Uh, you know what? I, that would be how how any coach would be motivating. Other than like the Vrabels and Tomlins that are still in spectacular. Like yeah, yeah. I could go out and tackle no, somebody. We need, it, we need it to be someone who doesn't look like they're ready to take the field. Who still I comes still in can't figure out what pants. McCarthy was going for with the, with the watermelons. So, like I just can't. Um, I, I just can't figure out like how you think that's going to motivate a room. Honestly, full of I think he was just going old school Gallagher. There's some energy to crushing things. And there's a satisfaction to the visual of a crushed watermelon uh, that's more satisfying than a water balloon or something else that might explode. I'm t- I could see it. Yeah. Not, not for you. Not for you. Yeah. What would I mean, motivate I, you, Fitz? That's a, that's a great... You know what? Like, the way Kendall was talking, like, I, I, just, I respond to authentic just energy. Hanging out with right? Kendall. Okay. But, I, think, I think McCarthy's tried that, and you could take a look at their record and see how that's worked out. Uh, that's probably true. Yeah, no, I think that there's some level of like authentic energy from somebody that's like yelling with that passion. Like, you know, I, I think that's what's been so special about watching like Indiana afterwards. I always want to hear their coach just mm-hmm. talk about love because the way he says it, like, man, like that's authentic. Like, especially some. I mean, you hit you hit a bunch of watermelons. I'm just laughing at your bad jokes. He's that's all he's reaching at this point. Okay, he's desperate and he'll try. Anything. Speaking of Indiana, uh, we started the show talking about that decision in the Big Ten, and it's a weird one, Fitz. I'm very strong usually on things like this, especially relaxing of rules. And in this case, I understand the frustration from Indiana fans or fans who think they're prioritizing Ohio State. I would understand the frustration from those who would argue this 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 would have been a, a terrible decision not to make. It's one of those situations we've come across a lot in 2020 where there is no fair answer. There is no answer that's satisfying because everything sucks. There is one fair solution to all of this, Sarah, and that is that Northwestern upset Ohio State for the Big Ten Championship. <laughs> and then... We have all of these rules that were bent and all of these changes that were made for nothing. That's what I'm not rooting for. Total chaos. And then, of course, Northwestern would have the beef that they still wouldn't make the playoff, even if they were the champion. And even <laughs> if they beat the team that would have been in the playoff if they had won, because we know that wouldn't happen. Uh, and then we'd start a whole other fight. Isn't that what the whole thing's all about? Just the content of arguing about it. Uh, Freddie yep. and Fitzsimmons are coming up. They might be arguing about it, too. Uh, my bet is on yes. Thanks for listening to Spain and Fitz. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.